this is Yonder. It's episode 31 of the Yonder podcast. We get together every week and talk about remote work, distributed companies, virtual teams with people who are thinking about that kind of thing. People that own distributed companies and manage remote teams, uh, that kind of stuff. This week, we're talking with Fred Parada of Tortuga. And uh, Tortuga is interesting. They, uh, they're a backpack company uh, and travel products. So they make products, physical products you can pick up and they have a distributed team. And uh, so it's interesting how they are able to collaborate on that and sort of the role of getting together with each other and getting together with the products and, and uh, uh, going to China to the factories and, and uh, making all that happen. And uh, it's an interesting conversation with Fred uh, if you're not on the Yonder newsletter, please get on the Yonder newsletter or get subscribed to the Yonder newsletter, uh, uh, yonder.io slash newsletter is how you can get on the list for the Yonder newsletter. Uh, the Yonder conference is happening next week. Uh, this will come out just a couple of days before the Yonder conference is happening, October 9th through 11th in La Jolla, California. If you're in the area or want to hop on a plane to get there, yonder.io slash events is where you can find out about the Yonder Conference. And uh, uh, get on that newsletter if you want to know when the next Yonder Conference is, and we will let you know. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure we'll have more to report uh, after the conference has happened. This is the fourth annual Yonder Conference, but it's always interesting, new new ideas come out of it. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll tell you about that on the podcast in, in episodes to come. So you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, uh, Google play, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, just look for yonder there and look for the logo with the blue background. That's us. Um, all right, let's talk to Fred Parada. Hi, Fred. Welcome to Yonder. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah. So let's start by uh, telling people where you're talking to us from. Yeah, today I'm coming from my uh, home office in my apartment in Oakland, California, just across the bridge from San Francisco. Yeah. Um, tell us about your company and, and what your company does. Sure. Uh, so the company is Tortuga. We make luggage for city travel and are pretty much primarily known for uh, travel backpacks. So everything we do is carry on size. That's very important for us. We like to travel light and quick and efficiently. Uh, and everything is also designed to be uh, really easy to pack and organize. So um, the the idea where we kind of started the company from was combining the the positives, the pros of suitcases and backpacks into into one thing that wasn't a uh, a suitcase with with just with straps on it. Uh, now, so we started the company in 2010, and now 
what feels like many years later, we are a, a fully remote team uh, of nine. Wow. So so it started uh, co-located and, and has become remote or, or have you always been remote? Is no, we were always now? remote, but didn't okay. really think of it. Uh, <laughs> so we started, we started with, uh, uh, with Jeremy, my, uh, we've been friends for years and, you know, now business partners, but we, we started the company or, you know, kind of had the idea on a trip and we're living in separate cities at the time. I was in San Francisco, he was in LA and, you know, it was just this silly little idea we're working on. So it didn't feel like we were right. a remote company. There was just a thing we we're trying to do and we lived in different places. Yeah. Yeah. And now, how, how big did you say your team is? Now we are nine people. Yeah. Cool. And so how, let's, I guess, just sort of launch right into, like, one of the things that we have not really talked uh, about on this podcast too much is people collaborating remotely around physical things, products. Uh, what's that like? What's that process like? Uh, it's hard is, is the very <laughs> shortest answer. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to learn as we go. You know, we, uh, when we started and especially as we kind of grew into, uh, into being a remote team, not just two people who happen to be working remotely together, uh, it felt like there were a lot of role models by that point, you know, other companies writing or even podcasting about, uh, remote work. So it felt like there was, there were people that we could learn from there, but, no one was really uh, doing that for physical products, at least that that we could really find. So now there are, I think, maybe a couple companies, but you know, all still pretty small. I don't know of any people like even beyond a couple. Uh, any companies even beyond a couple people to or to the point of having like design teams with you know several people where they're trying to create uh, products remotely. So uh, that's kind of our. The next challenge for us to overcome, we're now doing that with, uh, you know, we have different people involved in the design process, but we just have one one designer and then we have a uh, production manager who lives in China, um, kind of works with our, our factories there. But, you know, the next challenge, we've kind of figured out how to do that and trying to get better and better at that. And then the next challenge will be, you know, as we hopefully grow in the future, how could we do that if we had multiple designers or, you know, a five, six person design team at some point, you know, imagine a... Imagine the North Face trying to to work remotely. Yeah, Ex explain just explain to me and listeners the the process of designing a backpack or luggage in general. Like, it, is this does it happen in the computer? Does it happen on paper? Like, what? How? How? I I don't even quite understand how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we uh yeah we're kind of tweaking it every. Every time, especially now, uh, we've kind of really grown the team in the last two years or so. Um, and I kind of think about the company in, in phases, and this is sort of our third, like V3 of the company. Um, so we launched some redesigned products uh, about a year ago now, um, and have been kind of tweaking our process uh, from that design process on. So uh, each collection that we do, uh, which is kind of how we think about products, starts a little bit differently. So... Uh, for example, uh, one that we released earlier this month called the Homebase Collection, we started with uh, an idea, uh, which was that we wanted to create kind of a, a mid-sized, kind of smaller, lighter backpack. 
because we already had one that was uh, as big as you can be for a carry-on. So we wanted to contrast that with a smaller, lighter one. So we had kind of the general idea. And for this one, we went through a whole process of data gathering, interviewing a bunch of people. Uh, we made some very rough uh, prototypes, uh, let them test it out for a month, did some surveying to get information back. Uh, this was kind of a more detailed research process, whereas sometimes we have a very clear vision of what we want or we just want to take here's our uh, here's how we design products and we need to make a bag around this size or we need to take our design style and put it in a uh, a duffel bag or personal item or whatever the category might be so once we have once we have some of that dialed in uh, in terms of like what is the feature set that we need uh, are there specific materials or hardware or something like that? You know, maybe we need to use something different than what we typically do. Uh, that's when we get into the design process. So Patrick is our industrial designer. And, uh, after some conversations with the team, he will, he'll kind of take the reins and jump into doing, uh, uh, basically a, a design of a bunch of different ideas. You know, he'll start out with sketching on his side and then kind of narrow that down to a few ideas, uh, that, cover a range of different things. Um, he'll turn that into drawings where we can kind of see, you know, front, back, side views of everything, but, you know, just sort of a, a 2D, very basic drawing. And then as we move forward from there, we'll take that and turn it into a tech pack. So a tech pack for soft goods, uh, like clothes or bags or anything, is sort of the blueprint, I guess would be the the best comparison. And it's it's what a factory needs to turn a drawing into a product so it's not the it's not the patterns like you might think of uh if someone's making clothes you know there's like a pattern you overlay that on fabric you cut out the fabric and you sew it up uh the factory in our case at least uh makes that pattern uh, and then the product so what we send is sort of a, a schematic you have a bunch of views of the bag um, you know, front, back, sides, you have measurements of everything, a uh, list of all the hardware and fabrics you want to use, um, and uh, kind of layout. In our case, because a bag is very uh, three-dimensional or has more uh, kind of considerations that way, we'll also sort of lay out each of the compartments. So, you know, we often have a laptop compartment. Okay, here's how that works. You know, we'll kind of pull that out of the bag and there'll be a page just about that. So, kind of breaks it all down and, you know, maybe I can send you a, a picture or a screenshot or something if you want to kind of see what that looks like or, or share it with people. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Um, and so are there aspects of this that need to be in person? I mean, are, are um, you know, I mean, ultimately there's a, f you know, a finite amount of, 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 products and the product design, uh, is only part of what you do, <laughs> uh, you know, marketing and, and publicity and, you know, even building the website are all kinds of things that we're sort of familiar with from a, particularly from a remote work perspective, but are there aspects of this where you kind of need to be there at the factory or need to be there in person to kind of tweak aspects of it or, or have you figured out ways to keep it all virtual no there's still some in-person stuff you either you need to do or you will benefit greatly by doing or save a lot of time by doing um so one of those of course is seeing the products in person so uh everything that i outlined a second ago um, all that design stage a lot of that we can do remotely or 
you know, over a, a video call to have a conversation about, uh, you know, which features we want, how we want to design it, that sort of thing. Beyond that, then we send that off to the factory and they create the first sample. So usually we'll have to go through, you know, maybe two to five rounds of sampling to get a product right. Um, and that's where, you know, of course you need to see that first sample and then the subsequent ones in person to be able to give feedback to the factory. So this is where it gets a little, some of the decision-making kind of comes in. So a lot of times that first sample has a lot of basic problems that we need to fix just beyond, uh, uh, just to get it to what, to match kind of what we designed, much less to start testing it and figuring out, oh, what did we think uh, should be a feature that actually doesn't work once you make the thing in real life. Um, so that that first one, uh, usually Patrick will have sent to him and uh, we'll kind of work through some of those changes, send those back off to the factory. And then as we go through a couple stages there, uh, that's when we kind of figure out, okay, who else, if anyone needs to look at this product? So, you know, if we, uh, for example, if we designed like a purse or something very uh, female specific, then we probably want some women on our team, some people outside the team to see that and, you know, test it out a little bit, give their feedback rather than uh, Patrick being the only person to see it. You know, you want, of course, multiple perspectives on that. The other time that it's really useful to be in person is as we finish up a product, a lot of times there are a bunch of small details or stuff that is just way easier to explain in person because you can point it out rather than in a drawing. Um, and those are the stages when it's great to have all of us together and possibly even at the factory uh, to outline that stuff to uh, to the factory because you know there often might be a bunch of really small things that would take us a couple rounds of sampling or um, a ton of drawings to explain, but in person you can just say, "Put this over here." You know, it's like very easy to point out when you're sitting next to someone. Uh, so that can often be, you know, we might go to the factory a few days or you know spend a week there, and that might save us. You know, that week might be equivalent to a month or two um, of work if we're doing it remotely. So we try to be really strategic in in how we use that time uh, rather than just making you know in person the the default. And and the factories in China is that what you said? Yes, we make all of our uh, all of our bags in China. Huh. So you fly to China to to make these decisions. It's not just a matter of you know traveling down the street. That's amazing. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When we get uh, when we get together in person, we make sure there's like a ton of work involved and <laughs> long plane rides and money. And, well, you need some uh, good luggage plans. for that. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> That's, that's why more people should work remotely, right? So then they all have to travel to retreats. They all need to buy backpacks. Perfect. I, I feel like I should ask you about like tra traveling tips because there does seem to be a lot of relationship between remote work and traveling, not just because uh, um, remote workers are capable, you know, not, not tied down to a specific location. Certainly there's that capability, but oftentimes, uh, you know, we're traveling to meet each other, traveling to meet customers or clients, you know, it's being spread out like this. We're, we're doing a lot of traveling. sounds like. Yeah. It's nice to leave the house once in a while. Right. Yeah. I always say that, you know, I have a, I have a membership also at a co-working space that I'll get to once or twice a week. And I always say it's, I mean, really, it's just to get out of the house and make sure I don't become, you know, a hermit in the home office. It's easy to do that and just talk to your team on Skype and, you know, not see anyone else. Uh, so, yeah, that that part of it is is for sure important. Um, although I guess I'm I've been kind of surprised to learn, you know, we 
we have a lot of customers or talk to a lot of people who do the like digital nomad thing and travel while they work online or people who, you know, take some time off or sort of working on something on the side while they travel for a few months or for a year or something. So, you know, we talk to a lot of people who are traveling constantly. Um, and I have to remind myself that actually most remote workers aren't doing that in a really, you know, they have a home base, they work from, from home and, you know, they have some flexibility to travel for vacation or maybe for retreats at their company. But, um, you know, the vast majority of people use that freedom to work from home or have a little bit more control over their lives rather than to, you know, relocate to another country every week. Yeah. It seems like there are a, a variety of different reasons that people can, uh, use to, you know, that, that, that sort of attract them to the remote work. One, one being this sort of nomadism side of things, but another, a lot of people I talk to, it's because they have kids and they, uh, you know, want to be closer to home and be able to have a more flexible schedule to drive kids back and forth to school and things like that and not need to have childcare just so that they can work, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, it's nice to have the freedom, but I mean, at least for myself and I'd imagine a lot of people, I also feel way more productive when I have, you know, I'm at home, I have the routine, you know, you can certainly that have kind of the regular hours you work and your your desk and everything's set up. Yeah. I, I always head out on every trip with, you know, all of these things with me expecting that like, oh, this will be great. I'll have a little chance while I'm on the plane or sitting in a hotel room. I can really dig into this thing or that thing. And oftentimes I, I'm actually much less productive. I'm usually much less productive when I'm, when I'm there. I don't know. Maybe if I did it more, I would, I would get better at it, but um, it's certainly a discipline to kind of balance that traveling and productivity uh, at the same time. Um, so. Yeah. I find it harder to do that day to day, you know, kind of productivity work, but sometimes easier to have, some like mental epiphany or breakthrough, you know, because you're out of your routine, you have like a different perspective or you're thinking, you know, higher level or something like that. Like you get out of that, out of the weeds a little bit and sometimes can, uh, can have some good ideas when you're on the road. Yeah. If it's like a writing retreat or a work retreat or something like that, where it's kind of this, you're, you're putting yourself in a different environment to, to be able to actually kind of focus more on things. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, so it, where where does your team sit on the uh, nomadism spectrum? Do, are most of your people shifting around the world on a constant basis or uh, a little both? Uh, no, most are fairly, you know, have either a home base, like, you know, one place that they mostly live. Of course, you know, we have a lot of people who like to travel a lot, but not necessarily in the... Uh, in that constantly moving nomadic sort of vein. Um, but we also have uh, one member of the team, Jen, who has a, a describer as probably having a couple of home bases. So, you know, she doesn't travel around super fast or go to a new place, uh, you know, every month or even every few months. But uh, she lives a lot of the time in Canada where her family's from. Uh, but then she also spends several months every year in uh, Guatemala. She has kind of a place down there that has become uh, sort of a recurring destination, you know, she's built up a network and has friends and all that stuff down there. So, um, you know, she's kind of in that, that middle ground, which I think a lot of people forget about, you know, they think it's like black and white, either you live one place and you get to travel one week out of the year, or, you know, you're constantly on the move and it's exhausting, but there's also a lot of people in the middle who travel, 
you know, a lot, but not constantly, or who have, you know, two, three bases they rotate between throughout the year. And I think that could be a nice way to kind of balance, you know, that newness and changing environments or, you know, maybe following weather that you like uh, with still being able to have have the routine, have the network of friends and stuff like that in a place versus starting from scratch constantly. Yeah. Talk to me about um, sort of keeping your team connected and collaborative. Like uh, what are the tools and processes? Like what, what have you come up with over, over time to sort of help everyone to feel like they're working together? Yeah, I think that's the, that's always what I tell people that my main job is to like, you know, we have plenty of, you know, very talented and smart and capable people. And my job is to make sure that all their individual work adds up to something bigger, right? Like the, the sum is greater than the parts and to keep them, you know, keep us all moving in the same direction. Yeah. I think the, there's some tension there, right? So when you're working remotely, there's some benefit to like, you're not in that distracting open office concept, right? So you can, you can be kind of heads down be super productive, you know, uh, isolate yourself and really get into the the flow when there's, uh, when there's some project you're working on like that. And then the challenge is making sure that that kind of individual, highly productive work is connected to everyone else's individual productive work. Um, so yeah, we try to keep everyone in touch. So we use a lot of the, a lot of the tools that I suppose, uh, many companies use. So we use Asana for, uh, sort of task and project management to keep everyone uh, looking at the same, uh, you know, kind of one one place of record to say what we're working on and, uh, you know, everyone's roles within a project like uh, a new product launch, for example, kind of involves most of the team uh, in our case. So, you know, everyone has some different stuff that they're working on around that. So that's a great place to, to have one project, but everyone else's individual roles. Um, we use Slack for sort of the uh, more kind of water coolery talk and, and sometimes, uh, sometimes hashing through specific questions, but really I think of that more as a way to, to keep everyone connected and, uh, and talking in between retreats or in between team calls or something like that. And then I think the, probably the most important thing for us is, uh, staying in touch with video calls. We just use Slack for the video calls, but, uh, um, we're still a pretty flat team. Like I'm the only, you know, manager, quote unquote. Um, so I have weekly one-on-ones with everybody. Uh, and then we have, uh, some of our teams also have either weekly or bi-weekly calls, depending on what makes sense. But, you know, that's usually maybe three or four people, depending on the, uh, uh, the focus of that team. And that's, uh, that's one of those times when we kind of, check in on the bigger ideas or a bigger project that spans everyone. So like a marketing project that involves everyone uh, that touches marketing. Uh, that's kind of when we answer some of those questions or, you know, pitch a new idea, that sort of thing. And then from there, we can take that to, to Asana or Slack or whatever to sort out some of the details and start divvying up uh, assignments and, and who's going to own what uh, and who's going to, to be responsible for that project. Do you, um, do you have formal retreats? Do you, do you feel the need for you know getting the team together formally, or are they getting together more informally on a on a on a regular basis, more around projects and stuff? Uh, um, or no, we do the we do the company wide uh, retreats, which 
they always feel like, uh, so we've been doing them twice a year and it always feels like once the next one is coming up, it always kind of feels like you need it or there's some, I don't know. You, I don't know if it's just because we're in the rhythm of it or if there really is something to a six month window or whatever, but, uh, it definitely feels like it's time for a retreat when the next one is coming up. Isn't that, um, isn't that a funny thing? I, 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 I've felt that feeling and it, and it's hard to dis- describe. It's a very abstract kind of like, Hmm, we just need this. Like we, we were connected better three months ago and I'm feeling it fading away. We need to reestablish those connections, but it's this sort of abstract concept. I, I, yeah, there's some chicken and the egg thing there. I don't know if it's like, is that the ideal amount of time or is it just, we're used to that amount of time? Like, I don't know what the cause is, but yeah. anyway, if you can feel it's a problem, you know, and solve it, that's, well, I that's think always good. It is a bit of a chicken and the egg thing in that, in that, uh, if your company culture is that, you know, we get together on video, uh, and have ways of not ever having company retreats, then that's just what it is. And you kind of don't expect more. Uh, but once, you know, maybe once you've, (laughs) I refer to this often, there's an old, uh, Seinfeld episode about flying first class that once you've flown first class, you can't ever go back to coach because you know what you're missing, you know? And I feel like retreats, it's sort of the same way. It's sort of like, Oh, I miss that. Like, uh, we should get, get together again that felt good yeah that becomes the the norm or the baseline or something right yeah 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 i don't know um yeah but it 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 is it's exactly what you described a minute ago you can feel that there's some drift whether it's in alignment of what we're working on or just like bonds between the team or something like if there was a chart i could see you know at each retreat everyone is kind of like perfectly aligned we're all on the exact same page and then just over time that drifts a little bit and then you have your next retreat and that brings it back together. Then it drifts and you know, that cycle keeps going. Yeah. It's this sort of, um, like I said, it's this abstract thing. It's like finishing each other's sentences. And you know, for that first couple of months after a retreat, everybody's finishing each other's sentences. Oh yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But then it kind of evaporates over, over some period of time and, and, uh, do it again. (laughs) Yeah. This is the, you know, when you have those and you see, you know, what comes out of it, even just the alignment, right? Not even that you've like accomplished something during the retreat or whatever, but just seeing that alignment and everyone being so in sync, then they just feel so necessary, right? I don't, I mean, maybe some companies can do that and achieve that over uh, video calls, but I don't know, doing it in person, seeing the result, then you realize like how much you how much you need those retreats. What do you tend to focus on at your retreats? Are they more uh, purposeful? Are they more about like, hey, let's get together and hash this out, or it, let's get together and I've got a presentation to give, or is it more about either literally or proverbially sitting around a campfire together? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I think the biggest benefit is just the the in person time to get people you know, feeling, feeling bonded and connected and, you know, reminding you why you work with these people and why you care about what you're working on. So, you know, we always have some activities, uh, that are sometimes city specific and, you know, we'll plan a couple nice meals together. And, uh, we're still at the size where, uh, a lot of times we'll get a, just a big Airbnb that everyone can stay in. So, you know, that also kind of brings 
everyone together for for a few days. Um, just the you know the physical proximity uh, is kind of cool, especially if you have uh, a place that's big enough to have you know some different areas, whether it's like sitting outside or in the living room or whatever. So it's not just you know everyone like right next to each other all of the time. A little bit of distance is good. Um, and then we also we we do some work sessions and work time there, but we try to focus those less on less on you know knocking out some specific project like a a hackathon or something like that because I don't want you know it's nice to have everyone in the same place but I don't want us all like sitting around a table but with our heads down looking at our laptops I don't think that's the best use of in person time uh, we try to do sessions and uh, whether it be a talk or usually things are more interactive but we try to make it so that it's uh, laptops closed and we're talking about uh, often like bigger ideas or bigger projects. So um, I always talk a little bit at the beginning of the retreat and call it like a state of the union and talk a little bit about like where we're at as a company, where we're going, uh, sort of big picture stuff that we're working on. And then we'll have um, different sessions often led by different teams or team members. So, you know, maybe at one point we're working on something marketing specific. Pretty much every retreat will usually do a a product design session because it's cool to see the stuff in person. Everyone gets to see stuff that is in progress that we're working on. And it's a great way to get everyone's feedback in person um, all at once. And, you know, people are always really tied to the product, I think, in any business and, and especially in ours when it's a physical product and, you know, it's for traveling, which everyone cares about and does and, you know, uses the product. So um, everyone I think is, is super invested in the product. So we always try and open that up and, and do some of that kind of work uh, in person, whether it's like, hey, here's a couple concepts, see which one you like, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each. Or if it's, um, hey, here's a problem we're trying to solve for a specific kind of traveler, uh, and you know, brainstorming, generating ideas that way. Yeah. Um, in what ways do you feel like being a distributed company is uh, a competitive advantage for Tortuga? Well, I think definitely in in hiring, um, you know, we're able to find the the right people, not just with uh, with the skills, but who you know match our values, care about what we care about, um, you know, potentially value remote work, uh, being able to to work like this, and being able to work and travel, that sort of thing. And yeah, we've, I mean, just as an example, I like I said, live in the Bay Area, and we haven't hired anyone else here. <laughs> Um, not, not intentionally because of, uh, you know, salaries or whatever, but just that's how it's worked out. We've ended up fairly spread out. We have a couple of people in LA, a couple in New York, but, um, also people just all over the place. So, you know, I think just being able to hire the right people has been, has been a huge advantage there. And also, you know, we try to focus not just on working remotely, but, you know, work like balance, quality of life. And I always call it like being a more human company, which I think a lot of, a lot of remote companies uh, are working towards, you know, not just working remotely, but also, you know, treating employees as as people and not just like, uh, I don't know, resources to be to work 24 hours a day and be ground into the ground. Uh, and we definitely have a lot of people like uh, so we have two people who have come and we're working at agencies beforehand that had a very different work culture. So, um, you know, I think that's one one advantage that we have and are able to attract people who have. Um, whether they've tried something different or worked in that environment or at startups or something before and want something different, 
um, or you know maybe they're just at a phase of their life where they want something different. So I think they're the uh, working remotely and some of the other considerations of being a, a human company, like I said, uh, are, are a huge advantage in, in bringing people on board. And especially in our case where, you know, we're a travel company, I think the that freedom that's granted by working remotely, having more vacation time, et cetera, is, you know, those are really highly valued by people who highly value travel. So uh, also helps us attract people that, that care about what we care about. Yeah, it. I, I think it. it's this big misconception around remote work that it's less human, that it's uh, um, disconnected, isolated. Uh, and, and perhaps there's companies that are out there like that, but I really haven't found them to talk to on the podcast. Maybe they just want to stay quiet, but, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, this idea that you're working out of your inbox and it's just kind of this anonymous, you get tasks and you do the tasks and you send them out. But, most of the companies I've talked to, uh, you know, are actually trying to rethink work, rethink how people work, uh, and are being much more idealistic about it. And, and, um, I've got this idea that like, because you need to think about it if you're, if you're remote, you need to think about how you're communicating and what you're communicating and, uh, all that kind of stuff that it, it ends up being a more cognitive process, more, uh, I, I, idealized process uh and uh and we end up uh you know and uh, a lot of the stuff that you need to communicate is is this nonverbal stuff that you would otherwise give a high five or something like that and it's it, you need to be, be much more vulnerable to say instead i care about you i'm thinking about you i value your work <laughs> and uh and it ends up being a, a more human kind of connection so yeah. And you have to learn how to do that, you know, sometimes just in text or, uh, or uh, in chat or over a video where you can see the person, but, you know, you're certainly losing some nuance versus, versus being there in person. And, you know, like you said, you have to figure out and build in those, those communication channels because you can't just like swivel in your chair to the right and ask someone something and, you know, interrupt them and uh, kind of get that quick quick answer or, uh, you know, give your input on something because you see your teammate, you know, looking at this product and they're working on it and thinking about this aspect and, you know, you look over the shoulder and chime in. So you lose that stuff, which, uh, can be helpful, but can also be distracting. Um, but then you have to build a process around everything versus just, you know, throwing people in a room and expecting it to happen. Yeah. Are there difficulties that you've felt like you've needed to overcome? Have you come up with any, um, solutions that you're proud of i you know i i guess i could ask straight out sort of the question like what's bad about remote work but uh you know what 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 have been the difficulties that you've found that you've needed to overcome yeah i think the uh i mean what we we're just talking about ends up being the biggest ones right it's communication and figuring out how to bridge that gap between um how you can communicate or how you have to communicate in a remote company versus what just happens naturally in person. Um, and I don't think all that stuff that happens naturally in person is always uh, ideal or the best, right? So you could say that uh, working all in one big room is a more human, more connected experience. But you know, if you have that open office concept, then it's also an incredibly distracting experience and does not help people really get uh, like 
great focused work done. So I think bridging that gap and figuring out those processes. So that's why I always appreciate, uh, like I was saying at the top, that other companies share kind of how they do things and, and what they do to keep people connected. So you can look at that and see, oh, I think that would work for us or um, uh, or wouldn't. You know, like some people, if they're some people are restricted in what time zones they hire, even if uh, they're a remote company. So that makes it easier for them to have a video or whatever call with everyone on it all at the same time. You know, it's easier to do in all hands. Whereas if you're a little bit more spread out around the globe, then that becomes harder. So then you have to trade off with um, covering that in retreats or being able to cover that in uh, team level calls or, you know, at a different scale. So I think it's, I think it's figuring out how to bridge that gap between kind of in-person and what we're used to versus remote. And sometimes that just requires a lot more uh, talking or more explanation to kind of show not just uh, to convey not just the words, but also the nuance of what you're trying to say. Like I, I've definitely caught myself doing that, right? Where you try to maybe I'm in between things and I check Slack and I dash off a quick response to something. And then I realized later that, Oh, in my attempt to write something very quickly, just uh, as I was rushing off to the next thing, that that actually sounded super rude or it sounded dismissive, right? Because I just wrote one sentence and just text and you don't get any of the body language or intonation or, you know, I didn't include an emoji to <laughs> to kind of describe like what I'm trying to get at. Um, so then you learn to either, either you have to kind of include that context somehow whether it's uh, emoji or just, you know, more explanation or um, you need to like save that, uh, save that comment until you can, because sometimes the really quick, uh, quick response to something, um, you actually lose more than you gain by responding, right? Versus in person, I could give that quick response and you would see just by the way I said it or whatever, uh, you would get the rest of the meaning. Whereas over chat, maybe some of that is lost. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really good point. Huh? Yeah. So in, uh, <laughs> in researching you a little bit before this, uh, uh, podcast, I, I, uh, came across your blog, uh, uh, and your remote work buyer's guide. And I was delighted as I went through, it's like, you have almost the exact same setup that I, I have the Jarvis standing desk and the even an Egotron support for my Dell ultra, ultra sharp monitor. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I mean, I guess I could have just linked that entire post, just like whatever you need, just search for it on wire cutter and then buy the one that they say, because I, I think that's like probably 90% of it comes from. <laughs> well, I, 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 I I didn't uh, come across these things on Wirecutter before I bought them. So it's nice to know that I, I line up so well with such a well-respected publication. <laughs> you did it the you did it the hard way. I you know. You probably went through like 10 monitor arms to find that I one. I guess so. Yeah, man. I looked at all those Amazon reviews over time. Um, uh, do you have any, like, uh, for people that are uh, doing remote work and traveling i mean you you're a person that thinks about uh the tools and the luggage and the sort of ways uh um of sort of staying productive and 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 being able to kind of bring things with you have you figured out any tricks uh tips th that you want to share about um you know what what when you when you go traveling like what do you bring with you to to make sure that you can stay connected 
Well, the first thing I would remind people is to bring your uh, the adapter for a plug if you're traveling to a foreign country, because that's the number one thing I forget. So I'm going to recommend that to other people, but it's also a way to remind. And once you're in the country, you can buy the plugs for that plug into American outlets there, but you can't buy the plugs that plug into the French outlets in Paris, right? Because they're just selling to French people who are traveling to America. I guess some, they're, yeah, some you, I mean, you got to come out like the, the tour shop, and then they've got the cheapo, you know, what would be the cheap plug you could buy on Amazon, but, you know, right. it's $40 there because they know they've got you. You got to charge your device, right? How else are we going to live? <laughs> so that we'll start there with that one. Um, and also an external battery, also find super helpful when. Uh, when traveling. Um, yeah, I tried to, it, it kind of depends on the trip and how long I'll be somewhere. And, uh, you know, from somewhere where I'm going to be there long enough that maybe I get, uh, rent some space at a co-working place. Um, then maybe I'll have a little bit better setup, but a lot of times I'm just traveling just with my laptop, which, uh, I have a couple year old MacBook air, but, uh, when I have a little bit better setup, um, again, I'll use the, some of the stuff I mentioned in that guide and cut from wire cutter, which is like, a Logitech uh, external or wireless uh, Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, uh, which is nice. And then I have a Roost stand, which um, is nice for getting your laptop up to eye level or closer. So, um, you know, as you're working, you're not hunched over every day over the laptop. If you don't have your whole setup with the external monitor and all that, uh, the Roost stand is great because then it also collapses down. It's pretty easy, pretty easy to pack. Uh, And then... We do have some, I guess, from a sort of a software perspective, um, I'm a big fan. If you travel a lot um, but live in a city in the U.S., uh, I would take a look at T-Mobile. Um, this might not seem like uh, what you would talk about specifically for remote work, but uh, they have some great packages where uh, I forget the name of the program, but basically in almost every country of the world, um, you can show up turn your phone on and it'll connect to a local network and use your normal plan. So there's no swapping of SIM cards or paying for some international thing. Um, it's just your usual plan, you know, kind of normal speeds typically. And you just show up and turn your phone on and it connects to the local network. So I found that to be super helpful, especially in, uh, you know, outside of Europe. In Europe, everything's set up so easily to get a, a SIM card or whatever. But, you know, I'm in Asia a lot, going to China and then, you know, traveling around as I'm there. And it's super helpful when, you know, you can't even read or try to guess at the, uh, the language, uh, and the characters that it is expressed in. Uh, it is nice if you can connect and, you know, try and do some stuff from your phone, uh, rather than, you know, facing that uphill battle of, Okay, how do I get a SIM card? Right. What does this cost? What am I getting for this? Well, uh, then you have to send an email out to everyone that might want to phone you or get in touch with you with your new information for that country. It's, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the other part of it is you, you keep your same number. So, you know, you can be texting or calling people, um, you know, some some charges for some of that stuff. But in general, it makes life much easier if you're traveling a lot. And, you know, kind of goes back to that Um it's not necessarily part of your routine, but it's just like one less thing that you have to figure out and start over from scratch with, yeah. uh, which I find to be super helpful. <laughs> yeah. Getting these texts from some random Chinese number. Who is this? 
Well, I've, I've gotten a lot of those. Yeah, I, I used to go to China a lot of times with uh, a friend of mine who uh, grew up speaking a little bit of Mandarin, and then uh, you know he took classes later to kind of get get a bit better at it. So I would always like get some weird text and be like, "What does this telling me that I'm out of things? Are they trying to sell me something? Right. Do I need to re up this? Like, could be anything." Yeah, I've gotten and, that you know, in, for, like, Italian and Portuguese. You know, with the message that basically just says like, "Welcome to the country," but I've got a get online and punch it into some sort of translator in order to realize that they're just trying to ask me to buy more minutes or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's probably a travel hack is like, ignore all of those texts. They are just trying to sell you something <laughs> that you don't need or understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks Fred. Uh, yeah, this was really interesting. A, a, a different angle, uh, um, on, on, uh, remote work. Um, I think than we've had, um, on the podcast before. So, Thanks so much. Um, if uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can just reach out on Twitter. I'm at Fred Parada with two R's and two T's. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, uh, also through the site, uh, just fredparada.com. So if you want to read some of my other perspectives on uh, remote work and uh, e-commerce and bootstrapping and all of that kind of stuff, I try to write there, which is mostly to to think through this stuff and get it out of my head, but you know, maybe it is, maybe it's useful to other people in the same way that, uh, you know, me being able to read, uh, companies that were further along than us when we started, uh, kind of helped me, help me get going. Yeah. And of course, visit tortugabackpacks.com and, uh, buy some bags. Yes, please. Packing cubes and <laughs> my bags and all the things they have there. So thanks, Fred. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Bye.